This episode is sponsored by Sweet Life Nutritionals. If you're looking for the absolute best supplements created by yours truly, Dr. Brian Mole, our products contain the highest quality ingredients and the formulas are evidence-based and backed by science for blood sugar, metabolism, gut support, adrenal health, and detoxification. Visit SweetLifeNutritionals.com and use the coupon code PODCAST to save 10% off your first order. Welcome to the new Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Brian Mole, and each and every week I bring you cutting edge information, transformational stories, and exclusive interviews with the leading experts in the area of blood sugar, diabetes, and metabolism. My goal is to cut through the confusion by making complex concepts simple and to give you practical strategies to improve your blood sugar and optimize your metabolic health. Thanks for joining me, and I hope you enjoy this next episode of the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. All right, so I'm here with Angelique uh, Panagos, who's a nutritional therapist over in the UK. Uh, Angelique, very excited to jump in and talk to you today all about hormones and digestion and blood sugar health. How's it going today? Absolutely great. So pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, my pleasure. So uh, I love to talk to uh, nutritional therapists because... Uh, I think that, you know, you uh, really work with clients on a day-to-day basis and see the effects of uh, nutrition and other lifestyle changes on their lives. Uh, You're also uh, certified with the Institute for Functional Medicine, as I am. So I know you have a great background in, in functional medicine as well. So um, I've actually, I'm, I'm busy doing my accreditation with them at the moment. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, that's the way to go, I think. So in the process there. In the process, in the process of, certification. yeah. Excellent. All right, great. So um, I want to dive in and talk to you about uh, all these things and what you see with your clients. Uh, we were talking a few minutes ago and you said something to me uh, where you said that uh, blood sugar is really one of the foundations of, of what you do. Um, it's one of the most important things when you work with your clients. Why is that? I think that it's absolutely the cornerstone. And I feel that if we can start getting that blood sugar level balance, then we, we not only see a massive change in how people's energy levels change or their waistline changes or their hormonal um, symptoms start changing, but we also start seeing an a change in mental clarity and and just that zest for life that comes back. So I really feel that if we start balancing that blood sugar level, we're not only looking at um, reversing some of the hormonal conditions, but also giving people a better quality of life. And when I say that, it's that mental clarity, that energy back that some of us are really lacking. And uh, when you're working with your clients, what are the things that uh, you look for uh, to know that you need to focus on blood sugar? So I love the fact that I have time with my clients and I really dig deep and I feel like that's the best tool that I have is that I can really get get to the bottom of what's going on and take a really detailed case history and 
look at their habits as well, their habits around food. And I find that one of the biggest tools that I have is the food diary that comes to me. I do a mood food and stool diary. So I tell them, tell me what you're eating, how you're feeling and how you're pooping. Um, I need to know it all. And then from that, I also just go further into that in the session with them as well. So I really get to understand what their daily life is like. like give me a typical day. What do you eat and drink, the time you do it, how you're feeling, everything. And from there, I can really start picking out the different um, habits around food. So the really obvious ones that could cause um, could cause an imbalance in blood sugar levels being your, your refined carbohydrates, your high sugary foods, you know, going for long periods without eating and then going in with the caffeine or the, um, the sugary foods again, or it's the symptoms that come with it as well. So that irritability, that um, forgetfulness, the, the sleepiness even as well when they've eaten certain foods and then they just go into this lull, so they go from a high to a low. So there's so many different little symptoms that I can pick up on that can show me that we need to do some work. Right. So when you look at a food and mood tracker, you're seeing how their moods are changing based on what they're eating also. Of course, yeah, it could be absolutely. other things, but, but that's one of the factors that affects them. That's one of the factors. And also, you know, taking, taking that time to just really get to know them a little bit. I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky because I have an hour in my initial session with them and then 45 minutes with my follow-up. So I really have a good amount of time to, to get to know them. And I feel like that's, that's such a big part of it because we forget sometimes when we're filling in a food diary, we might forget half the things. But when you actually sat there in front of someone and you're going through a typical day, there's so many other things that come up as well and things that they might not have known about. So they might just say, oh, I drank some squash, for example. And you can dig deeper into to what does that actually mean? What, what squash, what's in it? What make is it? Um, what are you actually drinking? So I think that that really helps me as well. Did you say they drank squash? What is that? Oh, squash is like a cordial drink. Okay. <laughs> I say that because my client just before you was telling me that she really loves squash. And I was like, okay, so what is that? So it's a cordial drink that you, it's like this sugary syrup that you add to water and it makes oh, wow. a drink. Okay. Yeah. So basic is like sugar in a glass. And, um, yeah. Something that would probably be on the no list for people with diabetes, I would imagine. I would, I would say definitely not, but I feel like now, as soon as that, that becomes on the no list and they might choose one that's um, sugar-free, so just full of artificial sweeteners. Mm. So that's a whole nother conversation, isn't it? So what are the most common things that you see when you look at food uh, diaries? Uh, what are some of the most common, maybe we could say mistakes or areas of improvement uh, mm. or areas that need improvement that you see? I'd say that. The first one would probably be eating dessert for breakfast. And um, I feel like these tycoon cereal makers, they all got rich and we got diabetes, you know, so they, we're just eating these sugary desserts for breakfast. I think that's one of the key ones. And another really popular one here is on the way to work to grab yourself a coffee and a croissant or a pan au chocolat um, as your breakfast. So again, you know, it's just like dessert for breakfast. So that's one of the one of the key players, I'd say, one of the, the ones, and sometimes, you know, that's what I start with. I just start with revamping breakfast and that already makes such an impact. But then it's also um, relying on the carbohydrate type foods, these really processed foods that you're it's so convenient. You can even you can get processed foods while you're waiting in a, 
in the line at the post office now, you know, we've just got these convenient, we've never had such convenience with food. And um, these are, these are the other, I'd say areas for improvement really where we can, we can make big changes by getting people to stop having that and start food prepping and, and making better choices with what's in front of them as well. Yeah, it's an important point. I think convenience oftentimes, it doesn't have to be, but oftentimes leads to unhealthy choices. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the things we find in vending machines and, uh, you know, at the checkout counter at grocery stores or the coffee shop or, uh, you know, the things that find their way around uh, office meetings and so forth. uh, These foods are typically not the best uh, health choices for us. And, uh, you know, fast and convenient, usually, not always, but usually means that it's uh, somehow uh, going to be losing quality or or it's it's probably not going to be the best food for us. And I think that we get into the cycle as well. We get into a cycle of, actually, um, I, need, I just need to go there really quickly. And I know that there's all these shops on the way and I can get something. And But with clever marketing today, I feel like we don't actually stand a chance because with clever marketing, they actually say the word healthy on the containers now. They actually say the word healthy on the packaging. And then when you flip them over to read the ingredients, it's basically like five different names for sugar and, and a bit of something else. So, um, you know, even if we're trying to get by the healthier stuff, we sometimes get tricked. Hey, it's Dr. Brian Mole. I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to this episode of the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. If you're enjoying the show and you want to support the creation of this content, then consider making a small contribution by buying me a coffee. To show your support for the show, just go to buymeacoffee.com slash Dr. Mole. And you can buy me a cup of coffee or two there as a way of saying thanks for putting out this content and bringing you some of the leading experts in the field of blood sugar and metabolic health. Thanks for your support. And let's get back to the show. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think um, I'm not sure how it is in the UK, but in the US, uh, sometimes the government recommendations, which I think probably have good intentions in mind uh, when they're first created, maybe not, but uh, it seems like they end up backfiring sometimes. So, you know, if something has, if something's made from a whole grain, uh, the company might even be allowed to put the word, you know, contain, you know, is healthy, where, uh, you know, egg manufacturers, which is a real whole food, uh, are not allowed to call their products healthy. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate some of the some of the rules around what manufacturers can say, you know, and and uh, and we end up a lot of consumers who don't do the research end up trusting uh, that the government has you know our best interests in mind and is watching out for us. But unfortunately, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah, I absolutely think that, and I think that as a consumer, you'd be you would you wouldn't necessarily be thinking about the health of the product. You'd be weighing up the cost versus the flavor. And making a decision based on that as well, and that's and that's what we do because we want to get the best value for money and we want to enjoy what we're eating. But unfortunately, in today's day, today's world, this, this crazy modern world that we live in, we actually need to take a step back and think. Hang on, all these ailments and and diseases are on the increase. So what can we do to actually change that? Because obviously, we're doing something wrong that all of these are on the rise. 
you know, you mentioned this crazy modern world we live in. And I know one of the things you talk about is how this modern uh, lifestyle affects our hormones and how those hormones then in turn affect our health and blood sugar in particular. Can you make that connection for us? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel that this crazy modern world we live in, it's just getting a little bit crazier and crazier. And I, and I don't feel like it's going to stop at any time. So I feel like we need to almost pull on the reins and, and, and take a step back ourselves. But what we're looking at here is we're looking at an extremely busy life, first of all, and, and then a very stressed life. So many of us are walking around in this chronic stress state. And stress the way we're stressing at the moment is not how we were genetically programmed to deal with stress. You know, stress is meant to be this acute situation. It happened, you being chased by a wild animal or you're stepping out in front of a car, you know, those split second decisions that you have to make that fight or flight, it's short lived. Your body goes through these physiological changes, blood sugar gets excreted, you know, your lungs are breathing deeper, your, your heart's beating faster, you're able to get away, but that's short lived. And after that, dies down and everything goes back to normal. But what we're doing nowadays is we're living in this chronic stress state where it doesn't die down. So take that plus the fact that we're eating all these food-like products. So they look like food, they taste like food, they make us feel full like food, but they're void of the nutrients that food actually should have. And that food is information. So we're not getting the right information from the food that we're eating. So that's the second thing. The other thing is we, we're living this life where we, we awake all the time. <laughs> like sleep is now just a second thought. Oh, I'll have a little nap later if there's time. And we, we on these phones and we're swiping and we scrolling and there's just this light coming at us the whole time. And that's affecting our circadian rhythm, which in turn is affecting our cortisol and, and melatonin. So when we're looking at that lack of sleep, that again has a knock-on effect on our leptin and our ghrelin, our satiety and our hunger hormones, which leads us to craving more sweet foods because we're tired. Because I'll tell you what, if you ever want to crave sweet foods, just don't sleep very well for a few weeks. You'll definitely start craving the sweet. So um, if we start taking all of those together and then we actually look at what sugar does in the body and what sugar does where hormones are concerned, for example, if we have elevated blood sugar levels, um, and that leads to elevated insulin levels, and we get these insulin spikes, it's hyperinsulinemia, but that in turn does, it stimulates more testosterone from the ovaries. It also causes more testosterone to be, secre uh, to be converted sorry, into estrogen through aromatase. And what it also does is it decreases what I call my sheepdogs, which is your sex hormone binding globulin, which keep free testosterone and free estrogen in check. So what happens then, what that equates to in symptoms wise is we may be more aggressive, more angry, more irritable, uh, possibly pimples, possibly um, polycystic ovaries, um, weepy, tender breasts, fat around the middle. And when we start looking at it from that aspect, then we really need to like say, whoa, what can we do to stop this cycle from happening? What can we do to step out of the crazy of the modern world? Yeah, very well said. So uh, you describe the, uh, the sassy six hormones, and you mentioned a couple of them there. Uh, but could you talk about all six of those and this sort of web-like balance that they have? And again, how these in turn can impact blood sugar, weight, and overall health? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so these are the six hormones that I've identified that, that have a... a 
intricate web with each other. So there's so there's many hormones in the body, but I feel like if we can start balancing these six, we start seeing a lot of changes in our other hormones. And um, the first of these sassy six, uh, we'll talk about the sex hormones. So we're looking at testosterone, estrogen, and progesterone. So a lot of times when I'm talking to women, they actually quite taken aback when I start talking about testosterone. And I think that's because we have dubbed it as the male hormone, but testosterone is extremely important for females as well. And when we're looking at how it has these, I call them the cameo appearances during our, our menstrual cycle, it really plays an important role in, in fertility. It plays an important role in us feeling confident and feeling good as well and energized. And um, we need testosterone to be able to to make our estrogens of the world. And we also need progesterone to be um, making all of those as well. So if we, if we look at how hormones um, are made or synthesized, we take fat in and then that gets broken down into the mother hormone, which is pregnenolone. And then that gets put down different pathways. So the one pathway we go down is your progesterone to, uh, cortisol pathway. And the other pathway is looking at making your sex hormones, including DHEA, but that's not one of my sassy six. Uh, however, it's really impacted by the sassy six. If we just look at the one arm of this cascade, um, stress, the message of stress, and this is very simply put, the message of stress overrides other messages in the body. And it absolutely should. That acute message of stress is supposed to do just that. It's supposed to get us out of danger's way. So if you're getting out of danger's way, you don't need to be reproducing, for example. If you need to get out of danger's way, you don't need to be um, digesting that meal that you've just eaten because you don't need to digest your lunch if you're about to become lunch. So we we start seeing an, an imbalance in our hormones. And as I said, this is very simply put, I mean, the mechanisms behind that is a, a lot more complex. But if we living in this really chronic stress life, then our body may favor making stress hormone above making our other sex hormones. So that's one way that it is affected. But the other hormone is insulin. So insulin has a knock-on effect on these sassy six, on the sex hormones, as well as your stress hormones. So insulin, as we said, you know, can have a knock-on effect on testosterone and on um, estrogen. But what it also does is it also it almost works as a seesaw with um, cortisol. And if we've got too much of this hyperinsulinemia, so we've got too much of this insulin coming in, it has a knock-on effect on the balance of cortisol. And therefore, we can just by that, so by default, we have an imbalance with cortisol. So uh, the other one is our thyroid hormone. And thyroid, I call it the master metabolism hormone, so important for so many functions and sometimes really overlooked and also quite a delicate gland in itself. You know, it's affected by quite a few things. But again, with the stress hormones has a knock-on effect on our thyroid functioning. So if we've got elevated stress hormones, it can actually, in turn, um, hinder the conversion of T4, which is your thyroid hormone, which needs to be converted into T3, which is your more active thyroid hormone. So as you can see, it's quite an it's quite a web of how they, they're always interplaying with each other. And I like to think of hormones as like those old school radios where you had to really tune them with a big dial. And if you just, if you went a little bit to the left or a little bit to the right, they just have white noise. And I find that, that that's really what hormones do. They just, they need to be in this perfect balance. I call it the Viennese waltz. When they in perfect balance, they in this beautiful Viennese waltz, everything's stepping, everything's regulating. 
But many of us, thanks to modern life, high sugar and high stress, we're doing the hokey pokey and we're using the wrong feet and we're actually just feeling terrible because of it. So how do we sort all this out? If, if someone comes in as a client or if somebody's li- listening, wants to know, you know, how do I know if, if these hormones are in, in balance or out of balance, if this is a problem or not a problem, what are some of the clues you look for? So I think if we're looking at, if you've got that wired or tired, so you, you're tired, but you can't get to sleep at night. Um, or if you wake up in the morning, absolutely exhausted. So that get up and go, got up and went, you just, you just don't feel refreshed after no matter how long you sleep, um, irritability, hair falling out, gritty eyes, cold hands and feet, pimples, um, and then looking at fat around the middle. So where you feel like you're actually tucking your stomach in with your top into your trousers, you know, that, that real belly fat that we get around there. One of my clients said to me the other day, she's like, God, if this is on the outside, can you imagine what's going on on the inside of my body? And that's absolutely true. You know, it's like, it's not just the visible fat that we're seeing on the outside. It's the, it's the visceral fat that's on the inside and, and coating the organs. Um, as well as um, the low libido, mood swings or sadness, depression, weepiness, um, looking at your cycle for females, whether you're having a um, irregular cycle, heavy bleeding, really painful periods, all of these type of things, headaches, migraines, constipation, diarrhea, all of these can, in effect, be something to do with hormones as well. Okay, wow, that's really interesting. So, as you said, there's a web-like connection and, and uh, really a lot of, uh, you know, some of these hormones affect others. You talked about how insulin affects cortisol and cortisol affects insulin and thyroid cortisol connection, uh, the connection with sex hormones like estrogen and testosterone. So it's pretty powerful how uh, each hormone can affect uh, the way the others function. And it just uh, makes you realize that this is a really important area that we should be focusing on, uh, especially with people who uh, have some extra weight around the middle or have some metabolic uh, issues with either PCOS or prediabetes, gestational diabetes, or if they've been given that type 2 diabetes diagnosis. So uh, if someone is on that spectrum, uh, that spectrum of metabolic dysfunction, PCOS, uh, gestational, prediabetes, type 2 diabetes. Uh, how do you evaluate them? Or is there anything specific or different that you do with them that you're looking for? I think, you know, and as someone that has, I have polycystic ovaries myself. So I, I walk this walk. I, um, you know, I wouldn't menstruate for 90 days at a time, and, but I'd have PMS for that whole time. So it was really fun to be around. And I just, I didn't understand. And I just kept going from doctor to doctor. And they just kept telling me, you know, this is normal. This is normal. Just, I remember the one said to me, you just have to learn to live with your symptoms. And I think that was the real catalyst for me wanting to do this work. So I thought, no, 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 no. I didn't feel like this before. I'm not going to carry on feeling like this for the rest of my life. And I feel that we can do so much, but in order to to see a change, we have to be willing to make a change and it has to be a whole lifestyle change. And I feel that when we, when we presented with all these symptoms, you know, there's a lot of tests that we can do to, um, to rule, rule out certain things, but also to confirm certain things. You know, there's a lot of things that I've been wanting to look at, um, but it needs to come from grassroots up. We need to do something around the diet. 
we need to make sure we're sleeping enough and we need to make sure we're getting some movement. And I feel that we, in this modern life that we live in as well, is very sedentary and that's also having a knock-on effect on our health. And so when I'm working with a client, I, I have to meet them where they are. So if, you know, if the only, if they live on a diet of the white, sweet and fluffy, so the really refined foods and very little vegetables and uh, proteins or fats, then we really, we have to start with, with doable changes. So stuff that people can achieve as opposed to just trying to throw the whole book at someone and say, you need to change every single thing right now today, because that from experience that doesn't lead to the best success in most people. Some people are all or nothing, but most people, they need they need step-by-step information. And um, I think that the first thing that we really have to do is we need to get rid of those sugars. We need to get rid of those refined carbohydrates. We need to get them out of the diet completely with as, as a non-negotiable for a while, especially. I like to to think that you know we could live an 80-20 or a 90-10 lifestyle that we can have the occasional and it has to be occasional um, of whatever you might feel as your sweet eat might be. But if you're presenting with all these symptoms right now, we have to really look at what have you done in the last five, six, seven, eight, 12 months, because obviously what you've done there is not working for you right now. We need to make those changes. So that's our first step. The other is making sure we get enough good quality protein in. And a lot of people say, oh, you know, in today's day and age, it's very seldom that you don't get enough protein in. But I look at food diaries on a daily basis and I see people are just getting a few pieces of chicken in their sandwich or a few pieces of chicken in a pasta dish that they've ordered. And, and that's not good quality protein. You know, that's not enough of what we need to be able to balance our blood sugar levels. To be able to get our, our peptide hormones functioning properly as well, you know, our, our thyroid hormones, the hormones that are made up of proteins and fats. So um, I think the the real grassroots that we need to start doing, and, and those are two things that we can really, and I like to celebrate the wins, those are two things that can really bring, bring quite big changes are to get the refined carbohydrates out of the diet and bring and bring in enough good quality protein. So uh, you said you uh, have dealt with PCOS yourself. Um, have you been able to uh, help yourself with that condition and make significant improvements? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm really proud of what I've been able to do. And I think that's, you know, that's why I, I love working with ladies with PCOS because I just feel like there's so much that we can do diet and lifestyle wise. I mean, for myself personally, I was about 20 to 22 kilos heavier than what I am now. Um, I'm also hyperthyroid. So I had Hashimoto's. So I had polycystic ovaries and Hashimoto's and I've got adenomyosis, which is endometriosis is cousin. Um, so uterine endometriosis. I've had quite a few hormonal conditions and I find that that moment that I was told that I had to learn to live with my symptoms was really the catalyst for me. And at that stage, I was really on this white, sweet and fluffy diet. And I was eating a lot of sugar. I was drinking a lot of um, diet sodas. I was having a lot of coffee. I wasn't sleeping enough. I was drinking a lot of alcohol and all of these things had to change. And it's once the weight started coming off, especially around the middle, when my cycle started regulating. And it's something that I wish I'd known about in like my early twenties, because I really struggled with fertility as well. I had two miscarriages. And so, you know, there was, there's been a lot of learning where, where this was concerned, you know, a lot of learning about, you know, what is the insulin doing? How is, why is that testosterone level high? Why is my sex hormone 
finding globulin low, you know, why are these things out of balance and what can I do to change them? So there is a lot that we can do. And I feel like that message really needs to get out there because if you look at Dr. Google, PCOS is all doom and gloom. You know, you're never going to be free of it. You're always going to have the symptoms and you're never going to have a baby. You know, that's basically what a lot of those messages are, but so you can get just, you what, what, what do you think were, what did you do? What were the most significant changes that you made? I took out all sugar. You know, I went completely sugar-free and not, and that doesn't mean that I had refined, um, I mean, artificial sweeteners. I mean, completely. I even took out honey, um, maple syrup. I had one piece of fruit a day. You know, I went very low sugar and that's, I had to do that because I was addicted to sugar. And I feel like, you know, the more sugar I was eating, the less I was sleeping. I was even night feeding. I was getting up in the middle of the night to eat because I was just one. I was just like the, the sugar monster. I just wanted to eat it all. And um, I found that I had to cut it out. And for me, it was all about recalibrating the taste buds as well. So for me, for a time of time period, fruit had to go as well. Um, because even if I had one piece of fruit, the next thing I was diving into a bar of chocolate. So um, for me, it had to be that way. And um, I removed, and you know, our definition of sugar needs to be expanded because it's not just sweets and sugar it's the white refined carbohydrates as well so they all went i started eating protein i thought i ate protein but i actually started eating protein for the first time getting enough good fats in and getting some movement you know um that that for me was difficult because i didn't think that that was going to make such a big impact and i feel that exercise where pcos is concerned is really important but it's that balance again, because you can go the opposite way and get really um, excessive exercise. And that then has a knock on effect. It has a negative effect on what we're trying to do. When you say you thought you were eating protein, but, but then you really started eating protein. What do you mean by that? Well, I was eating sausages and I was eating cold meats and I was eating salamis and, you know, that type of thing. And then suddenly I'm looking at, what I need to be eating for breakfast. And I'm now I'm eating eggs and smoked salmon, or I'm having my leftover dinner for breakfast, you know, salmon with tomatoes and, and avocado. But, you know, this is not what the advert's telling me I should be eating. The advert's telling me that I should be having this breakfast, breakfast biscuit. You know, if it says breakfast biscuit, it's a biscuit. Um, so, you know, and I was totally just, you know, I was eating uh, oats, but I was eating these real refined oats with absolutely no nuts or nothing in there that could possibly resemble any form of protein or fat. You know, it was just purely refined foods. And then I started eating um, good amounts of fish and eating proper, proper, like hearty home-cooked meals. And I think that for me, I mean, I, I never used to cook. For me, cooking was going to the shop and buying a ready meal and banging it in the microwave. Um, so it was really falling in love with the act of cooking, and I found it quite therapeutic. And the more I enjoyed what I was doing, the more I was able to do as well. So, um, so that's what I mean by eating protein for the first time. Wow. That's a really powerful message and a great story. Uh, so thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, so. We are, uh, we're getting close to wrapping up here, uh, believe it or okay. not. Uh, and I always like to finish with uh, three questions that I like to ask all my guests. Uh, but before we do that, I'd love for you to share. I know you have a book called The Balance Plan. I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. And then if people want to find you, uh, 
find out more information about you or follow you, how can they do that? Great. Thank you. Um, so yes, I've got my book out, The Balance Plan, and it's available in the UK and in America. Well, you can basically anywhere that sells a book. Um, and I wrote this out of, it's all, I feel like it's an extension of myself and I've really immersed myself into this world of hormonal balance. And the book is a diet and lifestyle approach to balancing hormones. And it's the, it's the foundation. And, you know, I say this within the book, you know, we look, I'm looking at it from a functional model as opposed to just a replacement model. And a lot of the time we, we look for that replacement model. I'm not feeling well, so give me the pill. Um, my progesterone's low, low, give me the pill. You know, so we, that's a replacement model and that has its place. But what we need to be looking at it is the foundations, the functional model. And um, my plan, there's a, there's a 28 day food plan with full of recipes. And um, what I say in the book is this book is either going to make you feel so much better or you're going to start feeling better, but realize there's more investigation to be done. And I really urge anyone that's having blood sugar imbalances or, um, hormonal conditions, anything like that to, to give it a go because it's really helped so many ladies. And I feel like, I'm, I feel like extremely privileged to be able to have shared this information and that it's reached so many people. And, um, I definitely share a lot about my personal story in there. So I hope that it also gives people a lot of hope that they can work through these issues and, and, um, what I call the hormonal freedom, find that hormonal freedom again. And then I am on, um, my website is angeliquepanagos.com. I'm on possibly every single social media channel that there is because it's modern life. <laughs> and um, so you can find me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook as well. Angelique, could you spell that uh, for everybody? Uh, we'll put Facebook. it in the show notes, of course, too. But if you could just spell your uh, website out, your name out, that'd be great. So it's, um, it's Angelique, A-N-G-E-L-I-Q-U-E, P-A-N-A-G-O-S.com. AngeliePanagos.com. Okay, excellent. So uh, three questions for you. And the first is, uh, if there was a statement or an idea or even a quote that sort of best represented your work, the impact that you're trying to have on the world uh, from a health and wellness perspective, what would that be? It's about consistency, not perfection. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and what I mean by that is in order to achieve these goals that we have, we need to constantly be making these changes and putting these changes into place to create a lifestyle as opposed to following a fad diet for a week and being meticulous and being a perfectionist about it and then just going off the rails again. And, uh, you know, I also had eating disorders in my 20s. So I've been on either side of caring too much about what I eat and then not caring at all. And it's about that happy medium consistency above perfection. Beautiful. I love that message. If you had uh, a friend or family member come to you and they just received a diagnosis of type two diabetes or prediabetes, and uh, they came to you for some advice uh, on what to do as maybe their first step, you had just a couple of minutes, two or three minutes to share uh, a plan with them or, or an action step with them, what would you tell them to do? Um, take out all the white, sweet and fluffy foods, uh, get rid of any soda pops, um, protein with every meal or snack and get enough veggies in. And we're talking about your dark green leafy vegetables. Yep. 
That's good advice. <laughs> and uh, the next question is a little bit of a sort of a larger, more global question. But if you found yourself around a table with 20 world leaders, presidents and prime ministers from all over the globe, who were trying to solve the diabetes and obesity epidemic and brought you in as an expert, what advice would you give them? I would, I would really urge them to to clamp down on these messages that we're getting from adverts around food. And I, I feel that, you know, for, for, for us to really see a change, it, it has to come from, from the top level as well. And I feel like these big food companies have, have a social responsibility. You know, if we, if we're so invested in investing in them then they should really be invested in investing in us as well. So it's about, making sure that they actually do meet those regulations and reducing the sugar consumption and reducing the sugar ingredients in the food. And I know like there was an advert for these um, chocolatey breakfast cereals that said 30% less sugar the other day that I saw. And then I looked at the back of the box when I was in the store and I was like, oh my God, there's still so much sugar. So even though those are steps in the right direction, I feel like they need to be more and we need to get those messages out there about what it is actually doing in the body with diagrams. We need to be explaining and teaching, but it has to come from that top level. They have to have that social responsibility. Perfect. All right. Angelique Panagos, thank you so much for being on the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. It was great to have you and a wonderful conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. For those of you uh, listening today or watching this, thanks so much for subscribing and make sure you do subscribe if you're not subscribed to the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast on Google Play or iTunes. Uh, go to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Sweet Life Centers, and make sure you subscribe there so you get all the updates. And uh, I'll be back next week. This is Dr. Brian Mould, the Diabetes Coach. I'll see you back next week with another expert interview. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thanks again for joining the Mastering Blood Sugar podcast. Hey, if you haven't already, please do me a favor and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts. If you want more helpful information, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Dr. Brian Mole. And make sure you follow me on Instagram at Dr. Mole. If you like this episode, share it with a friend or family member who could really benefit. And I'd love if you would leave me a five-star review on iTunes or Google Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. This is Dr. Brian Mole, and I'll see you back on the next episode of Mastering Blood Sugar. Thank you.